right. Last week, uh, Brandon introduced Kyle. Um, he, he said that we had called him in from the bullpen. Uh, well, although Keith is expecting to return uh, next Sunday, um, he is still out for today, so back to the bullpen we go. Uh, that's why I'm up here this morning. Um, now, I don't know a lot about baseball, uh, but I think that each relief pitcher generally has at least one or two pitches uh, that he likes to throw, pitches that he's, I guess, comfortable with. Uh, well, I think that that might be the case for this relief preacher. Uh, when I preach, I like to preach or teach on topics that are related to counseling, something I'm familiar with, something I'm comfortable with. Uh, so one of the top heart issues that often comes up in counseling is people-pleasing, uh, or as the Bible calls it, uh, fear of man. And I looked back when we were trying to figure out what I was going to do a couple weeks ago, I looked back through a lot of the, uh, well, all the sermons I've ever preached and uh, found that I never preached on this topic, which surprises me, uh, because it's either the number one or number two heart issue that comes up in biblical counseling. Now, I realize that there are a few unique individuals who do not struggle with fear of man, but I think that most, most people do to at least some degree. The opposite extreme to people-pleasing are those people who couldn't care less what other people think. Uh, and I'm sure there's another sermon that those people should hear, but that's not today. <laughs> All right, before I dive in any further, how about uh, if I pray for us? Heavenly Father, you know that I am excited about uh, talking about this topic of fear of man. Um, and uh, it is a um, topic that I know that I personally struggle with and uh, one that I wonder if I should be <laughs> preaching about it since I still struggle with it. Uh, but I've also seen that you've helped me. You've, um, uh, we've made some progress in this uh, people-pleasing, this fear of man. And so uh, hoping today that as we talk about it, as we open your word and understand what your word says about it, I pray that we'd make some progress today. Uh, that this morning's not just a case where we learn things. I pray that transformation actually takes place and that uh, we can be changed. We can um, conquer fear of man to at least some degree. And so I ask your help through Jesus. Amen. All right. What is fear of man? Uh, the common name for it is people-pleasing, uh, but I think we can do better than that. Um, fear of man is an inordinate desire, and I think it's important to understand that word inordinate. It's not just a desire. It's an inordinate desire, and inordinate simply means exceeding reasonable um, uh, succeeding reasonable limits, all right? That's what inordinate means. So when you think of fear of man as an inordinate desire to, and I have seven bullet points there, it's an inordinate desire to get affirmation from others, to be liked, to get approval from others, for others to think you're attractive, for others to think you're good at whatever, fishing, playing tennis, counseling, uh, 
preaching, being a father or a grandfather. Uh, want others to think we're good at those things. To be recognized for your accomplishments or to not be criticized. So is fear of man a problem for you? I want you to consider the following examples of, of fear of man. Uh, if you grabbed or printed out the sermon notes, you can just check the ones that apply to you. Uh, otherwise, just follow along on the screen. Maybe at least keep track in your head of how many you're checking off. There's, there's a bunch of them. There's 25, but we'll go through them pretty fast. The um, first one is overreacting to criticism, getting defensive, doubting yourself, or not being able to move on. So how do you react to criticism? Criticism could, could very well be for our own good, but do we take it that way? Number two, not enjoying playing some activities, games or sports, because you don't do well at them. For me, I refuse to play Trivial Pursuit and Dutch Blitz because I am embarrassingly bad at both of them. And I refuse to play Settlers because Keith makes fun of me for how long it takes me to take a turn. <laughs> Number three, avoiding conflict or any situations that could result in conflict. This is a biggie that I often have to deal with in marriage counseling. Either the husband or the wife or both refused to enter into conflict resolution, so nothing ever gets resolved. Number four, avoiding any situation in which you could look bad or be embarrassed. I'm awful at remembering names, so I try to avoid social situations in which I might not remember someone's name. Liz and I went to one of our class reunions a number of years ago, uh, but we got there late. As we entered the room, everyone was seated for dinner, and someone shouted, hey, look, there's Charlie and Delinda. Uh, Delinda is Liz's real name. People at Octorera know her as Delinda. So anyway, so everybody in the room knew our names, all right? Um, so we sat down at a table, and I couldn't recognize a single person. They started making fun of me for not knowing them and would not tell me their names, figuring that I'd, I'd eventually figure it out, but I didn't. <laughs> I think that was the last class reunion we will ever go to. <laughs> Number five, over-preparing for teaching a lesson or giving a report. We, but we might do this just so we won't get stumped with a question that we can't answer. Number six, not being authentic or real with your close friends, hiding your weaknesses. If you remember my last sermon on authenticity called Let's Get Real, you might remember that fear of man is one of the reasons people struggle with being real. Number seven, not sharing your sinful temptations with someone who could help you. What a shame if there's someone in your care group who could help you with your temptation, but fear of man is keeping you from sharing with him. Number eight, crossing physical boundaries with your boyfriend or girlfriend so he or she continues giving you attention. Number nine, dressing immodestly just to get attention. 
few years ago, uh, Brandon scolded me saying that my tight shirts were totally inappropriate. <laughs> I am kidding. <laughs> Number 10, not confronting your friend's sinful behavior. Simple example, if your friend uh, is gossiping about someone, do you confront him? Number 11, not attending a Bible study for fear that you can't find a book in the Bible as quickly as others. When I was a teenager, this was a big deal for me. I made sure I had a Bible with the, with the book tabs on the edges so I could find the books of the Bible and wouldn't look stupid. Number 12, not answering a question in a class or stating your opinion for fear of sounding stupid. I'm sure there are some of you who know the answer, but don't speak up, and it could be because of fear of man. 13, getting really upset when the coach benches you or doesn't put you in the starting lineup. Or the flip side of that, number 14, being overly fearful that you'll miss that shot on goal in the final seconds of the game. So you don't actually wanna be put into the game. Number 15, not questioning a doctor when you should. But this guy has more letters after his name than I have in my whole name. That shouldn't matter when it comes to asking questions about your health. 16, not standing up to a professor who is critical of Christian beliefs. Now, I admit that I struggle with fear of man, but this is one area in which I did stand up. In seminary, the professor asked us to write a paper on where we felt the authority of Scripture was being challenged. Very first line of my paper, I said, in this very class. I ended up in the professor's office for a one-on-one. We could not agree on the inerrancy of scripture, and I ended up switching seminaries. Number 17, not sharing the gospel with someone for fear you won't have an answer to a question he might ask. I think fear of man is, the, is one of the biggest reasons we don't evangelize like we should. Number 18, not behaving as a Christian when you hang out with your non-Christian friends so that you fit in. This could be using profanity, underage drinking, recreational drug use, sharing inappropriate texts, whatever. 19, we might be quickly swayed by the opinions of others. Are you timid about sharing your own opinion so much so that you just cave in to what others think? Maybe you're overly shy, that's number 20. And I'm not, I'm not talking about a normal shyness. Uh, this is a shyness that causes you to want to avoid most social interaction. 21, easily embarrassed. This is one I struggle with. My face turns red even if I just think about it turning red and it's probably turning red now. <laughs> number 22, getting really upset when your boss does not acknowledge the job you are doing and instead only addresses times when you mess up. Having too strong of a need for affirmation can make employer-employee relations more difficult. 23, getting overly depressed when you feel left out. Of course, all of us enjoy having a circle of friends to hang out with, but if that desire is too strong, or in other words, inordinate, 
and we feel left out, it can cause us to be depressed. 24, not disciplining our children because we want them to like us. Or the opposite, overly disciplining our children, being too demanding in an attempt to make them perfect so that others think that we are good parents. Okay, how'd you do? I checked eight. Ten years ago, I would have probably checked 15 or more. So there's progress. You see, there is hope for us people pleasers. There's another way to measure how serious the fear of man uh, problem might be for us, and that's to look at our emotions. Emotions that are triggered by fear of man situations. So I've got a number of emotions here, and as you think of these, I mean, obviously we might struggle with a lot of these emotions in other circumstances, but try to tie them to a fear of man situation and see if these emotions flare up in fear of man situations. So do the situations trigger anxiety, anger, fear, depression, loneliness, guilt, embarrassment, a feeling of incompetence, a poor opinion of yourself, Do you find yourself withdrawing from some situations? Strong emotions can be an indicator of a heart problem, like fear of man. It's one of the ways we diagnose heart problems during biblical counseling. Now, my sermon title is People-Pleasing. Is it really that big of a deal? And you may be thinking, what's wrong with wanting people to like me? But I think it can be a big deal. And let me give you one more example of what I've seen in my counseling office. As you can imagine, I do a fair amount of marriage counseling, and unfortunately, some of that involves infidelities, including adultery. So you may think that that hard issue is the sin of adultery and that that's what I need to address. But often, that is not the root of the problem. Often, it is fear of man, an inordinate desire for, or, for attention or affirmation. I've seen people with the love, lang- the love language of words of affirmation, there's, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as it doesn't become inordinate. The desire for, the desire for words of affirmation... Hang on here, I lost my place. There we go. The desire for words of affirmation can morph into a need for words of affirmation. If the person is not getting from their spouse, but is getting from someone else, guess what? We have an environment for trouble. And it's easy to blame the spouse who is not giving the attention that he or she should, but in many cases, the problem is, at least partially, an inordinate desire for affirmation, which is fear of man. So church, please hear me. Fear of man can be a big deal. Okay, all I've said so far was was just to get your attention, to get you to wrestle with whether you have even a little bit of, of a fear of man problem. I'm guessing that some of you are thinking it's way more than a little bit. So what are we gonna do about it? Let's see what the Bible says. There are two really blunt verses, actually warnings for us about fear of man. Proverbs 29.25 and Galatians 1.10. Let's look at the Proverbs verse first. 
Proverbs 29, 25, and I'm going to read it from the ESV. I like the wording of that. It says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. What's a snare? Mike, it's not a drum. Well, it is a drum, but not in this verse. Over the last couple of days, I asked a number of people if they knew what a snare is. A lot of people didn't. I know what it is, but I still figured it'd be good to look it up. Two of the definitions out of Merriam-Webster's dictionary, I think, are very enlightening. The first one is a noose for entangling birds or animals. And, and uh, so, so think of a, a noose for entangling birds or animals. And I made one. All right, so let me demonstrate here. All right, see, a, a noose is usually a rope or a wire, okay? And there's a, the, uh, the, this whole thing is a snare, but the, the noose is at the end of it, okay? It has a rope, it goes up like this. Tip, I mean, it's done different ways. Uh, it's interesting if you want to go on YouTube and look at all the different types of snares, it's kind of fun. But anyway, uh, a common thing is to have a, a tree, like a, like a small sapling, bend it over, tie the rope to, to, the, uh, to the tree, all right? And, uh, and it's bent over, so this thing's in tension. Then this, the snare, or I mean the, the noose, hangs down near the ground like this. You sometimes have to put some sticks there to hold it in place, all right? And then... All right, so this is the, I'm going to spill this water, I'm sure. Um, so this noose is hanging here like this. You've got some bait or food probably on one side of it connected to a trigger that's going to release the tree. You're hopefully going to have an animal come along and try to get to the food, okay? And so it's crawling through the noose, and as it gnaws on the bait or the the food, um, uh, that releases the trigger, the tree flies up, it pulls the, the, the noose, the rope tight, and this comes up in the air, and your animal's hanging there in midair, stuck. All right? All right, now my computer shut down. Hang on. Okay, so a snare is a trap. The New Living Translation actually translates it as a dangerous trap. So when we are more concerned about the words of people than the words of God, there's a trap waiting for us. Back, back to the image of the, of the snare. When an animal is caught in a snare and is hanging in midair, it has lost all control. It can't do anything. When we think of fear of man versus fear of Lord, fear of the Lord, we're talking about what controls us. If I'm counting on a compliment from someone or I'm dreading criticism, what is controlling me? The words from that man. His compliment or his criticism is controlling me. My contentment is in his hands or words. His words are the snare 
and I'm the helpless animal. So, so why don't we just stop worrying about what other people say or think? And that, this is where the second def, definition out of Merriam-Webster's is helpful. It says a snare can be something decept, deceptively attractive. Something deceptively attractive. When I get a compliment for a counseling session that someone found helpful, it's attractive. I enjoy getting compliments. But what if I find that I need those compliments? I might be so quick, I might not be so quick to point out someone's sin or to, or to disagree with their behavior. That's when the attraction can become deceptive. That's when we see the snare. So obviously, we want to avoid the snare, but how? And of course, the second half of that verse shows us, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This goes back to the, to the control piece. What is controlling us? Please let it not be the words of man. Let it be the word of God. Another way to look at it is to ask yourself what you are seeking, the approval of man or the approval of God. Trusting in the Lord is ultimately the answer, and we'll get back to that, uh, but now let's look at the other verse. It's Galatians 1.10. But before we read it, uh, let's look at the context. The ladies' Bible study that Liz is leading is going through a Beth Moore study of Galatians, and uh, she conducts uh, the two studies that she leads in our home. So sometimes I'm home when the ladies are watching the video, and I can hear it from my office upstairs. So I've recently been refreshed on how angry Paul was with the Galatians because they were slipping away from the, from the true gospel. Listen to the, some of the things he wrote. Galatians 1.9. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news, that's the gospel, than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And in Galatians 2, 11 through 14, uh, Paul's talking about when he confronted Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came over, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So is fear of man a big deal? Yes, we just read that Peter's fear of man caused Barnabas and other Jewish leaders to be led astray. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Listen, listen to Paul. O oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely 
It was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. He is fired up. Galatians 4.16, two more verses. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? 5.12, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Some translations actually say castrate themselves. So that gives you the tone of the letter. Now listen to verse 110, what I think is a key verse. 110, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. If people-pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. That is blunt. I'll read it again. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people-pleasing, or if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Paul was passionate about the gospel, and no fear of offending people in this church was going to stop him from rebuking them. He obviously was not overly concerned with whether they liked him or not. He was willing to even confront the Apostle Peter. Let's put our own names in that verse. If I, Charlie, am trying to win the approval of people, not God, if people-pleasing was my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Did you ever read a scripture verse and it felt like a, like a two before up the side of your head? This is one of those verses for me. I want to be Christ's servant. I want to serve him well. Apparently, people-pleasing can get in the way of that. Well, I don't want to leave us with just a biblical rebuke against people-pleasing. I want to show... show Uh, how we can overcome this potentially harmful heart issue. It's no wonder Paul was so fired up against the people who were distorting the gospel for the Galatians because the gospel itself is the answer, the hope for all of us people pleasers. You see, there is a deeper root problem than just the need for affirmation, the need to be noticed, the need to be liked, the need for people to agree with us. The deeper root problem is how we feel about ourselves. Many of us who struggle with fear of man get our value or worth from what others say about us or even what they don't say. Our self-esteem depends on others, what they say, what they think, or what we think they think. It's crazy. If we, if we get a compliment, we're feeling good about ourselves, but if we get criticism, we crash and burn. Well, the remedy for this heart issue is the same as it is for many other heart issues. It's identity. Identity. Who am I? Who are you? Guys often identify themselves based on their job. I might say, I'm the shepherding pastor. Uh, well, that means that I might be looking for what people say about how well I do at caring for the people here. Uh, If someone tells me that they really benefited from meeting me, I'm going to feel good about myself. But if they don't, I'm left to wonder. My self-esteem may drop. Ladies often identify themselves in terms of relationships. 
And I realize I'm generalizing here, so don't judge me. Ladies may identify themselves as a mother or a grandmother. And if so, they may get their value and worth based on what others say or don't say about their parenting. They might think, oh, Judy's kids are always so well-behaved. What must she think of me as a mother? My kids never seem to listen. The problem is that we are finding our identity in something other than who we are in Christ. When we become Christians, the spirit of Christ is put in us. Our identity changes. The Bible says we are in Christ, where Christ is in us, where we are united with Christ. All phrases that tell us who we are. Paul told the Galatians in verse 220 that he was crucified with Christ, that he no longer lived, but that Christ lived in him. It's the same with us. For those of us who are Christians, our identity has changed. Who am I? Who am I? First and foremost, I am in Christ. I am united with Christ. Second to that are all the other identities, husband, father, grandfather, pastor, fisherman, care group shepherd, all secondary, way secondary. Why is this important? Because of how we look at ourselves. Where do we find our value and worth? For those of us who are failing to fear of man, we are finding our value and worth in what others say about us or about how many friends we have or whether our friends saw us score the winning goal or how many likes we have on a Facebook post. Our value and worth ends up coming from people, people we are trying desperately to please. Our self-esteem rides up and down on the words of man. The alternative is so much better. Our self-esteem should be based on the word of God. And it says we are in Christ, united with Christ. So instead of self-esteem, we have Christ-esteem. Our value and worth is, is not the value and worth of self. It's the value and worth of Christ. Compare the two. No matter how many friends we have, no matter how many compliments we get, even, in, even if we do score the winning goal in the state championship game, the value and worth of Christ is infinitely better than the value and worth of self. People pleasers, listen. And, and I'm also talking to myself here. Christ is enough. We don't need the affirmation, the acceptance, the approval of others. Christ is enough. Okay, let me try to make this practical for us, some takeaways, some application. Please turn to Psalm 62, if you would. We're going to look at just verses 5 through 9. And as we read it, notice the contrast between trusting in men versus trusting in God. And I highlighted them on the, on the screen there uh, and, or on the sermon note handouts um, to kind of emphasize some of the contrast. All right, beginning in verse 5. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. <clears throat> 
my victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Instead of enemy, think snare. No snare can reach you. Back to eight. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind. Oh, but what about the powerful people? And the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales together, they are lighter than a breath of air. I love that picture of scales with, with fear of man on one side, no weight, weight of a breath. Uh, uh, and on the other side is the fear of the Lord, an infinite weight. Verse 8 says to trust in him at all times, at all times. When your kid is melting down in Walmart and everyone's looking at you, when a teacher calls on you to answer a question in class, when it seems like you're the only one who didn't get invited to that cool guy's party, when I'm getting criticized by the animal rights folks for using a snare illustration in a sermon, (laughs) when your best friend tells you you have bad breath, when good friends or family let you down, and when you can't remember the name of the guy in church that you just met last week, trust in God at all times. No matter how much humiliation you face, remember those those scales. Your value and worth comes from Christ, not those situations. Let me share a humiliating time for me. I have a lot I could choose from. A year or so ago, I think both Brandon and Keith were away, so I was overseeing the worship service, kind of doing what Kyle did. And uh, uh, I think I may have also preached that day, but I don't remember. But I definitely remember this. I did the closing part of the service, the part right after the last worship song. I remember it all too well. I didn't realize that the worship team was doing two songs in that closing set, not one. So I, went up, I came up here on the platform after the first song. I stood there a little while, figuring that they'd soon be done, looking very stupid. Mindy was behind me on the, on the drums, trying to get my attention, t- telling me, go sit down, go sit down, <laughs> which I finally did. I was so embarrassed. Uh, but you know what? I survived, and the elders didn't fire me. What did I do? I got out the scales. My value and worth was not based on looking looking stupid in front of the whole congregation. It was based on who I am in Christ. One more story. Just heard this one last week at a CCEF conference for pastors. Uh, CCEF is the Christian Counseling Educational Foundation, and um, Ed Welsh was one of their speakers at that conference. Uh, By the way, speaking of Ed Welsh, he's the author of the very best book on fear of man, other than the Bible. Uh, It's called When People Are Big and God is Small. Love the title. Just think about it. When People Are Big and God is Small. A must read for us people pleasers. I've read it, I think, three times. Keith, I think, has read it seven. 
so it is uh, definitely a, uh, a good book if you struggle with that. Anyway, back to the story. Ed shared a story about David Pallison. If you know anything about biblical counseling, you surely know who he was. He was the editor of the Journal of Biblical Counseling for many years, was the director of CCEF also for a long time. Uh, I sat under his teaching at numerous seminars and conferences. Everyone was in awe of this great but humble man. Well, Ed shared about a time when David was teaching at a seminar and his mind suddenly went blank, like totally blank, like he couldn't speak. The seminar had to be ended because David just could not go on. It was a really scary time. This is a man who made his living out of an absolutely brilliant mind. What if he could no longer speak or write or counsel the things that everyone so looked up to him for? But Ed said that David didn't panic, didn't fret. He wasn't embarrassed by what happened. He wasn't worried about what the future held for, held for him. Why? Because his trust was not in his abilities or in what others revered about him. His trust was in the Lord. David recovered from that ab- episode, and doctors figured it was probably just a migraine. I'm not sure how long ago that occurred. I think it was a number of years ago, but I can tell you that the Lord did take David home last year. He had some other health problems. His testimony of life and even death was a great witness for the Lord. My point of sharing about David was to show you that even if we lose one of our greatest abilities, one that others admire about us, it's okay. It's okay because it is not the accolades of others that give us our value and worth. Well, I need to wrap up. I want to ask the question again. People-pleasing, is it really that big of a deal? I hope you're concluding with me that it certainly can be. I would go so far to say that it can be even be sinful, especially when we treasure the words of man more than we do the words of the Lord. That's idolatry. So if that is the case, then repentance is called for. So what I want to do right now is give us each the opportunity to do so. In my closing prayer, I'm going to pause for a bit of silence, and if the Spirit so leads, confess whatever he puts on your heart, and then I'll, then I'll close us. So let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I uh, call on your Spirit right now uh, to guide each of us. If there's an area that, uh, that we're struggling with, it has to do with fear of man. Help us right now to uh, confess it to you, turn from it, and turn to you. Lord, we know that you are there to accept our confession, uh, to be there to run to, for us to, to run from the need for affirmation, uh, to, to hear words of compliment from, from others. Help us 
to turn and come to you. We know that you are there with open arms wanting to receive us, uh, wanting to put all our trust and hope in you alone. So, Father, thank you for you being you. It's through Jesus we ask this. Amen.